The dairy cooperative Fonterra is to impose new penalties on farmers whose cows pollute rivers and streams. The move comes six years after a clean streams accord was signed between industry and government that aimed to improve water quality. While some progress has been made, there have been increasing calls for tougher action to ensure cows are stopped from polluting the country's waterways. Craig Ashworth investigates. Well, what we're looking at is a lovely old willow tree right on the river bank that the cows have been using as a as a as a stock camp. You can see the lovely green shit down there, uh, and they've walked up the side of the creek there, basically from the lovely sunshiny grassy bank, which is great for us fishers to get access. It's also great for the cattle cows to get down. Then they've walked up the river bank, probably no more than 30 centimetres off. In fact, they would have had to go into the water to get here. They've camped, you can see where the last little fresh came up, it's washed it clean and above that it's got the, the cow shit quite merrily sitting there waiting for the next flood to come along and take it away. There would have been a lot of poo down on all those rocks and things if it hadn't been for that fresh and that, that stuff sits there in the little pockets of water at the side and in a couple of dry weeks that's just festering and, and disgusting. Um, creeks just aren't designed to take that loading of poo. We're here on the side of the Makatawa stream at a place where the paddocks, the dairy cow paddocks, slope quite gently down to the riverbank. The sand of the stream banks and the rocks in numerous places are just covered with a splat, a cow pat, large enough, well, in the nature of a cow pat, that some of the medium-sized rocks have simply disappeared underneath it. And it's obvious that the cows have completely free access down here and like to come down here. It's rained quite a bit just uh, over the weekend and so no doubt much more evidence has simply been sluiced away but what's left makes it clear that this is a favourite toilet place for the animals along with the rest of the paddock but, but here's a patch of dung not a foot from the river and I'm with James Hadlow, New Plymouth businessman who likes a bit of trout fishing. James here obviously the side of the stream has become an extension of the paddock and you could expect to see crap here most of the time. Not unusual at all in these sort of situations. And good density, I mean, we're looking at well, at least two to three um, pats per square metre, and that is after that, what, 50, 60 millimetres of rain. It's far from the worst James Hadlow has seen on his fly fishing trips along Taranaki's streams. Some areas, sometimes you'll go down to the, the river, and, it, and it's pretty green with cow shit, not with natural lovely growth in the river. Two or three hundred cows have wandered down to the creek and had a stand around, nibbled on a bit of grass and had a quick drink and then, then uh, evacuated their bowels in the pleasant idyllic surroundings, basically. And it can be quite thick. It was this type of problem that prompted the Daring and Clean Streams Accord six years ago. Signed by Fonterra, Regional and Central Government, the aim of the voluntary agreement is to improve water quality by getting cows and their excrement out of waterways. It was agreed that by 2012, dairy cattle must be fenced out of 90% of streams wider than a stride and deeper than a red band gumboot. There has been progress, but it's been patchy across the country and people using the rivers are still frustrated at the mess dairy herds often leave in their wake. Taranaki is held up as a leader in tackling the impact of dairying. The Taranaki Regional Council, along with Fonterra and Federated Farmers, decided 90% of stream sides should not only be fenced but also planted out, so gave farmers an extra three years to meet the target. 
About three quarters of Taranaki dairy farms have fencing and planting plans. On the banks of the Patea River in Stratford, the council's environment director Gary Bedford says the progress deserves recognition. Over the last five years, Taranaki's spending on riparian protection has more than tripled to about three and a half million dollars. Gary Bedford says one and a quarter million native trees, shrubs and grasses have been planted and by the end of the project, 17,500 kilometres of stream bank will have riparian protection. Let's keep in mind the size of the problem we're talking about here, which is basically um, that there's more stream bank in Taranaki than there is coastline in New Zealand as a whole. Uh, and we're halfway there. We've got from North Cape to Bluff. Now we have to turn the corner and head back up again. Um, so it's a huge target. It requires huge resources, and it certainly can't physically happen overnight. On the ground, real progress is slow. 61% of the streams covered by plans are fenced, that's 5,200 kilometres. But less than 400 kilometres is new fence line, the rest was fenced over earlier decades. Likewise, 56% of streams covered by plans are planted, 3,500 kilometres. But just 264 kilometres has been planted during the six years of the Clean Streams Accord. 18 months ago, a Taranaki Regional Council director said there wasn't a dog show of reaching the 2015 fencing and planting targets without at least a tenfold increase in efforts, and nothing's changed. Gary Bedford concedes local farmers won't reach the 2015 target they signed up to. The one that's proving hardest for us to get good traction on is the planting and fencing. We've prepared the plans for the farmers. Uh, we give them a number of tools that they can use, such as providing uh, trees at cost for them to, to uh, pick up. But it's the reality of trying to encourage farmers to provide for that actual planting and fencing at a rate which meets the, uh, their core targets. That that's just, uh, you know, we're seeing that as, a, as the hardest one to knock off. Coming from a base of roughly half already done, it's crept up really by only a few percent each year. We're still a long way to go. So it looks like the farmers aren't doing enough. It looks like not enough farmers are doing uh, all that they can. Riding up the lower reaches of the Patea River on pretty much the peak of the high tide. Just passing a property that's been planted out down to the waterline with flags and mostly flags that I can see. They've also allowed the gorse to grow behind it. So far what I've seen is kind of encouraging it, really is a beautiful spot. These tall bluffs dripping with really lush native vegetation. Spectacular sight, but I'm told this property is pretty unusual and uh, what we see further upriver might not be so nice. On the other side of the river, just a little further up, things couldn't be more different. There's very little planting here, most of the streamside vegetation looks like perhaps it's grown there itself, and uh, it looks like the banks are just falling into the river. There's not a lot of trees on the farm either. Now we're coming up to turn another bend that isn't planted, and in contrast to the planted bank further down, this unplanted bank is clearly just being scoured away on the outside bend of the river. Now I'm passing planting that looks like a mix of flax and exotic trees, 
Lots of ferns planted in there as well, tidako and panga. And the bank doesn't look like it's falling into the river, unlike on the other side, where it really is just falling into the river. At the other end of the region, I get a closer look at a farm with lots of streamside planting. The chairman of Fonterra's shareholders' council, Blue Reed, the voice of farmers who supply the giant milk company, shows me around his property on the banks of the Mimi River, half an hour north of New Plymouth. We planted that, um, that piece there when we first came here and it was quite funny watching the interesting reactions from various people. Why did you fence that off, Blue? Um, I fenced it off because it's a swamp basically and it's just simply just doesn't make sense to clean everything up so we planted those trees you know the acacias and the banksias and some Blue Reed doesn't have much time for farmers who drag the chain on their environmental responsibilities even those who cite financial pressure. Do you deserve to be farming if you can't afford to look after your land because if you can't look after what you've got for yourself and for your family and for the future um, then there is no way that you could consider yourself to be a good farmer. You may be a good businessman you may be um, a less than successful um, steward of the land, but at the end of the day, you know, live with yourself. Um, yeah, I've got, as I said earlier, you know, money isn't that important that you don't leave something for the next generation. Planting and fencing aren't the only targets under the Clean Streams Accord, and the picture, according to the data that's available, is mixed. Nine out of ten regionally significant wetlands were supposed to be fenced two years ago. But a year ago, only four of 13 regional councils had identified the wetlands needing protection. By 2012, nine out of ten dairy farm stream crossings must have bridges or culverts. That target's already been exceeded. To reduce fertiliser runoff, all dairy farms were meant to have nutrient management systems in place two years ago. The target's been missed by just 3%. Southland has the highest number of farms with Accord-type waterways, yet stock is excluded from more than 90% of streams, the country's highest score. The Southland Regional Council's Senior Land Sustainability Officer, Gary Morgan, says a lot of southern dairy farmers fence as a matter of course. We're in the fortunate position that uh, uh, we've had a, a lot of new dairy farms established in Southland over the last decade. Uh, and the environment Southland has worked closely with those with those conversions, and uh, it's just a matter of course to fence out uh, um, natural watercourses and uh, and artificial farm drains. And and um, uh, anyone coming to, into dairying in this province understands the need for f fencing stock out of watercourses. But Gary Morgan says many fences are close to the water's edge, and he's advocating a minimum three metre buffer zone. He says Southland's target of 95% fencing by 2012 will be met. However, nutrient budgeting to ensure only the fertiliser the land can use is applied is Southland's worry. Most farmers are well aware of the need to have some sort of nutrient budget and that's provided by their fertiliser representatives at any rate. Uh, my concern is that a nutrient budget may be some printouts from the overseer uh, program but... Uh, Unless that's actually uh, implemented, uh, it just becomes another bit of paper with some figures on the office shelf and not utilised. So we're looking for implementation of a nutrient management plan. Gary Morgan says despite recent improvements, his staff are stretched and resources too few, and that makes monitoring a challenge. He says perhaps because widespread dairying in Southland is a relative novelty, the public seems more demanding than in regions like Taranaki and Waikato where he believes people are more accustomed to degraded water. 
Well, there was certainly a strength of feeling amongst uh, users of waterways, and particularly um, fishermen, and um, they were particularly concerned to see good riparian measures put in place around um, around watercourses. So the water quality in Southland, uh, visually anyway, was uh, looked pretty good. Plenty of uh, good fishing spots and things like that. So I think people were keen to see that. That, um, that quality of the environment preserved and so consequently our council um, immediately put um, some, some reasonably strict rules on, uh, on things like the disposal of the dairy effluent because it's, it's, it's a relatively new thing down here. We had clean water. There was, there was uh, a real desire from Southlanders to make sure that we didn't uh, uh, fall into the same trap as environment in Waikato. And how is the anger now? Is there still angst out there? Yes, there is. Um, uh, well, in small sectors of, of the community, d- d- dairy conversions uh, are occurring in, 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 in parts of Southland where they haven't had cows before. And certainly uh, local communities have some concerns about that. But, and you'll uh, hear all about it, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, lead us to the editor and, uh, and they certainly ring us up. And uh, we have uh, people who are neighbouring dairy farms who are concerned about some odour issues. And uh, so, you know, it's not all a bed of roses down here. One of those he might hear from is Graham Watson, Invercargill farmer of 30 years, who's recently stepped up his trout fishing guiding business. I'm out on the rivers a lot, uh, especially up country, around where we are now in Aparima, which is uh, on the Aparima, which is very close to, to Mosman in Southland. I do have a huge concern about uh, the water quality in Southland. Uh, the change in agriculture, as we all know, with the dairy boom. Um, and just it's not just dairying, it's uh, the intensification of sheep farming and deer and horticulture down below. Um, the obviously the effluent issue, and more importantly the um, the fertilizer runoff issue with the, the nitrate and the phosphorus runoff. Um, the water quality of these rivers is severely affected downstream, um, as you can see here on a beautiful day. This river is is you know beautiful. It's clear. There's plenty of fish in it, but um, in the next ten years we're we'll probably see um, presented a change in um, sort of southern agriculture with the demands of um, higher production. Um, and I think that's where we'll have a real issue. The change is so rapid and so quick. Um, I don't have the figures, but the dairy conversions in the last five years have been enormous. An interesting thing is to fly around Southland, uh, which I did last year in a helicopter with a, um, had the opportunity, and you get an idea of... Um, you can go places where you can't see by road and you see the effect on some of those small streams um, and some of the poor farming practices. In particular, during the winter, this winter grazing, where you, you're getting a high rainfall, a lot of mud, and you can imagine on a, a very wet midwinter's day in Southland uh, where you've got cows or sheep or deer on a swede or a, a, a chow paddock and it's running straight off into the creek. And unless you've got something to mitigate that, like very good riparian planting, it's, it's straight into the streams. In Waikato, dairy stock is already fenced out of 90% of waterways, the 2012 target. But the region is behind on the fifth target of the Clean Streams Accord, 
getting rid of cow effluent, especially from cow sheds. Upon signing in May 2003, the Accord demanded effluent discharges on all farms immediately comply with resource consents and regional plans. But information to keep tabs on that is of varying quality. The Ministry for the Environment's latest snapshot of progress to July 2007 could only assess data for 22% of Waikato farms surveyed. Many farmers aren't following the rules. 17% of those surveyed had a partial compliance rating and 30% received a significant non-compliance rating. The Waikato Regional Council spokesperson Stephen Ward says compliance is its biggest accord headache. The thing that we m would like to see the most progress on in terms of meeting the accord targets is for farmers to be complying fully with all our effluent management rules. Currently we've been seeing a, a much better performance from farmers in our region in that area. Uh, a few years back we were seeing non-compliance or significant non-compliance as high as 23%, 15%, 16%. In the most recent season our estimate is it's down to around 10.45%, so that's really good progress. Stephen Ward says Waikato Regional Council also works outside the Clean Streams Accord to improve water quality beyond the dairy industry. But those efforts are being squeezed in tough times. Other sorts of things that we've done include uh, clean streams funding and that helps farmers fence off waterways or do riparian planting. Um, at the moment it's proposed this is going to end next financial year due to um, budgetary constraints in the current economic climate, but it's something that's been pretty popular in the past. In the Taranaki Regional Council's freshwater lab, Gary Bedford says studies of sandflies, mayflies and streambed invertebrates such as snails, worms and crustacea show the water quality effort is paying off. In terms of the, the ring plan around Taranaki where most of our dairying is, it's basically very good news. We've been doing this sort of work for um, well 20 years now in some places and what we found that uh, 60 indicator sites around the ring plane, basically half of those sites, depending upon the rigour of the statistical analysis you want to apply, half our sites are showing improvement and only two out of the 60 are showing any sort of deterioration or degradation. If you apply increasing rigour uh, then the number of sites where there is a definite improvement does drop but also, luckily, so does the number of sites where there's some degradation. In fact, they disappear out of the horizon altogether. So you end up, for example, saying, well, there's, there's one-third of our sites have definite, uh, absolutely um, significant improvement, and there's nothing showing a degradation. We've pulled into a small sandy beach, uncovered by the lowering tide, within a couple of k's of the Pātea estuary and coast. There's no fence between the paddocks and the beach leading down to the river here and it's pretty obvious that the cattle come here quite a bit. I can see a lot of dung here above where the tide would usually reach and even down where the water's just retreated from there's kind of slimy masses of green. Adding to the green that the boatman says is the constant colour of this part of the river and this beach borders on a stream that heads up into the farm here on the side of the river so I'm going to have a little walk up and see what I see. A little further upstream, perhaps 30 or 40 metres from the Patea riverbank, is this culvert. Through the roof of this culvert, above my head, runs the railway line that takes the two long trains every day to Fonterra's Whararoa plant on the outskirts of Hawara. The stream that's running through here is a very murky brown 
certainly can't see anything more than an inch or two through it. Scooting up and over the top of the culvert brings me across the railway line and uh, through this thick vegetation of the railway reserve to the paddock that borders that stream. It's approaching milking time and the herd is up the far end of the paddock waiting to be picked up. We come down now to the riverbank and there's some electric fencing, a four-wire fence in between the cow's paddock and the stream, but uh, the wires have fallen off the quarter-round posts. Uh, they're obviously not switched on or they'd be earthed out. And the cattle can get down here and obviously have been down here. There are deep pug marks in the swampy banks of the stream. Again, dung splattered over the grass and the cows have obviously been right down to the very edge of this small stream which is feeding into the Pate River back through the railway culvert. Last October, the lobby group Fish and Game joined forces with Forest and Bird to critique the accord. Forest and Bird's advocacy manager Kevin Hackwell says they discovered basic errors that underreported the rate of serious farm effluent pollution. And he believes the cooperative nature of the accord has encouraged regional councils to go easy on offending farmers. The accord is too narrowly focused in terms of the people who make it up. It's Fonterra, central and local government. It should have had other stakeholders, including the farmers obviously, but also the people representing the public interest in clean water, the environmental conservation groups. If that had happened, we would have insisted on that actually measure whether the accord was actually achieving better water quality. That's not part of the accord. And it's one of the reasons why it hasn't had that sort of way of referencing itself back and finding out whether or not it's doing what it aims to do. But if you look over the whole country, generally where the water quality has been measured over the five years of the accord, generally we've seen a reduction in water quality, not an improvement. The Green Party co-leader Russell Norman says the accord is too weak to deal with increasingly intensive dairying. He says industry and government leaders simply aren't aiming high enough. I think most New Zealanders have the ambition that their rivers and lakes are safe for their children to swim in. Once we got rid of the lowland forest, the last wild places on the plains and the last places held in common for everybody are the rivers. And when the rivers become so polluted with effluent and nutrient flows uh, that you can't swim in them or use them or fish in them anymore, uh, then they're no longer held in common because you can't use them. And they're no longer wild places because there's no wild fish or any other kind of wild animals in them. If we're going to retain the last of the wild places on the plains and the last of the places held in common, then we need to restore our lowland rivers and lakes. And it's entirely possible to do that within a generation if we have the will to do it. Heading home from the Pateo River, I stop off at a couple of pubs. Some of the cockies are happy to talk, but not to be identified or recorded. Before rugby's Chiefs versus Sharks kick-off ends the conversation, they profess a warm regard for the accord, saying they know no one opposed to its aims. Those who speak claim completion or near completion of their accord obligations. They blame the pending failure to reach accord streamside targets on the stark practicalities of planting kilometres of banks and fencing the animals out. A couple of days later, I pop into a milking shed in North Taranaki. The farmer agrees to an interview, but doesn't want to be named. In some respects, I think it's been forced upon the farmers. Um, it's, a, it's an issue I think the Greens have pushed. Fonterra has possibly had to get in line with it, or have had to get in line, there's no doubt about that. But where does the buck stop? It stops with the, with the farmer. 
We have to fence them all again. Uh, as far as this property goes, it's all been drained. It's, there's been a lot of money and time spent draining these drains, and now we're expected to fence it all off. And put this way, we had it all clean, clean before this accord came in. I don't have to. I don't have to agree with it. But it doesn't mean to say that I've, at the end of the day we're probably going to have to do it. But I don't say I agree with it. So with various accord target efforts to clean up such streams falling short across the country, thoughts are turning to stronger measures. Taranaki Regional Council's Gary Bedford says regulation looks increasingly likely. It can be through a, a simple a, a universal rule in a uh, regional plan. It can be through the individual resource consent process. For example, we could make it as part of a effluent discharge consent. It may mean having to think up some new resource consents altogether, which is why we have to be very careful and work it through with the community, and it's not simply a matter of saying, there's a great idea, we're going to do it. And people do have this lovely, mythical idea that we have total power, uh, total resources, and can do anything we feel like. Um, The reality is actually quite different. But most of the region's elected councillors have close ties to farming and associated industries. They've turned down a plea from officers for the exploration of regulatory options, despite repeated cautions about the need for work on the ground to increase tenfold. Fonterra Farmers Chairman Blue Reed says he can't accept targets won't be met and compulsion should be applied ahead of the deadlines. And he says Fonterra is about to act against farmers who receive infringement notices or are prosecuted by regional councils for breaking effluent disposal rules. Fonterra will um, withhold some money from your payout, but if you use that money um, to bring in advice and and, um, take that advice, that money will be refunded to you. Fonterra confirmed that from next year, $1,500 will be deducted from the paycheck of farmers who receive an infringement notice from their regional council. A successful council prosecution will also attract a $3,000 penalty from Fonterra. Fonterra says the latest figures from the Clean Streams Accord due for release on Thursday show that last year 11% of farms significantly breached their resource consents for getting rid of cowshed effluent. The company's sustainable production manager John Hutchings says it's frustrating that those farmers are letting the industry down and the aim is to halve the number of serious breaches by August 2011. We're going to have a year of focusing very, very much on advice, but with a letter coming saying if it was the year after, then if you had received an infringement notice or a prosecution, then a deduction will have been made from the payout of 1500 for infringement notice and $3,000 for prosecution. That deduction, though, can be given back to our suppliers if money is spent on upgrading the effluent management system. The lead ministry on the accord, the Ministry of Agriculture and Forestry, won't talk ahead of Thursday's release of this year's accord snapshot, which will give the latest picture of what's been happening. But whatever the figures reveal, many river users worry they don't reflect reality and no one has a handle on the damage dairying continues to cause. Those who signed the accord point to improvements over the past six years. But it appears, at this stage at least, that various targets won't be met in regions where access to wild rivers is a defining feature. That programme was written and presented by Craig Ashworth. The producer was Sue Ingram.